Okay, we are in the Sermon on the Mount, continuing in Matthew chapter 5. And I will say it again. This is the, this is, as a unit, as a unit, this portion is what Jesus, the Messiah, felt was the righteousness of the law. In other words, the law of Moses, where it should have taken a person based on its righteousness. We can take lots of pieces out of this that apply very well to us, but as a whole, it is, it is also the Messiah's repudiation of, of the oral traditions, and the oral laws, as put forth by the Pharisees. And we see that really come blaring through right here in verse 43. This is where we pick it up from last time. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and He sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, so remember, throughout this chapter, Jesus says, you have heard it said, you have heard it said, you have heard it said. Whereas when He's quoting the written law, He says, it is written, it is written, it is written. But now He says, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So you see what they did. You see part of the oral law, what they did is they took a snippet of the written law of Moses, and they added to it. And they said, this now becomes your law. So the part that says, you shall love your neighbor, is from the written law. But to that, they, said, they added, and hate your enemy. That is not from the written law. Do you see what I mean? So they take something and they add to it. If you look at the book of Revelation, the last chapter... All the way at the end, it says, whoever takes away from this book or adds to this book, all the plagues of this book will come upon them. I mean, it's a serious thing to add to the words of God. That's why if we have little pet things that we feel are important for us, that's fine. We can put whatever we want upon ourselves. But we're not to add that as additional things that people are obliged to do Beyond yourself. You can add whatever you want to yourself, but beyond that it becomes legalism if, you start, if we start putting it upon other people. He says, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That hate your enemy part is never there in the law of Moses. So Jesus turns the whole thing around and he says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, I am telling you, without the love of God working in your heart, you cannot do this. This comes through the love of God. If you ever have any, any time to read, and you want just something to read, read, a, read uh, uh, The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. Just an amazing woman. Just absolutely amazing, where she would hide Jews during World War II. Her family would hide these Jews and... and uh, then they were found out and her family, though they were not Jewish, were thrown into concentration camps. 
Her father died in the concentration camp. Her, her sister died in the con- concentration camp. And that's all she had. But how God moved on her heart to love those who were persecuting them. Love those that had killed her sister. Love those who had killed her father. And you see God transforming a heart, doing a work in a heart. This is what Jesus calls us to. Do you see how high this calling is? You are to love your enemy. Love your enemy. I say to you, love your enemy. And pray for those who persecute you. So it's not, it's not just your enemy afar off. This person who did this thing to me a long time ago. It is the one who is currently persecuting you. You mean the one who is currently persecuting me? I am to love? This is exactly what God tells us to do. And to pray for those who persecute us. To pray for them who persecute us. This is what He calls us to. Do you see that it is not Jim Tour who is telling you to do this? The one who hung on a cross, who had nails pounded in his hands, who's on the cross, he looks down and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It is that man who calls us to love our enemies and to pray for those who are persecuting us. That man, in the midst of being persecuted, is praying for the ones who are persecuting him. And it is He that is asking us to pray for those who persecute us. I have this story that I've told before. I had this colleague once, and and this was at another university, and and, um, he started saying things about me and and spreading these rumors about me, and and I had this undergraduate come to my office, and she said, you know, I took your class, I really like you, but you know, this professor, he's always saying stuff about you. And I think... You know, this is a terrible thing to do because the last thing you want to do is tell some undergrad something about, you know, faculty business because it just, it just propagates. It's just like fire. It spreads around. And, and I was really upset with him. And, and uh, so I went to his office and I knocked on his door and I was really going to give it to him. And I had been memorizing the same portion, particularly the portion out, out of Luke chapter 6, which, which mentions the same thing. And when he didn't answer the door, I had been memorizing this portion And God spoke to my heart. You are to love your enemies. You are to bless those who curse you. And you are to pray for those who persecute you. And I decided that I would pray for that young man, that young faculty member, every day. And he started at the university a year after I did. And to to show you, you know, some of the things that would go on. So I was a year ahead of him. We weren't competing for the same tenure slot position. There were two slots. We were each competing for our own. I was a year ahead of him there, and he came into my office in his first year, and he looked at me, and he said, I'll get tenure before you ever do. Now, that's a very mean thing to say. That's like walking up to somebody and saying, I'm better looking than you are. And even if it were to be true, it's a very ugly thing to say. Now, no doubt the guy was a very good chemist, and and, uh, um, I didn't have, have, you know, although my background, the people that I worked for were very famous, I mean, his background was, was uh, equally famous or better. And, and, uh, but anyway, what happened was my career just took off very rapidly. God blessed my work very much so that after my third year, I was urged by the department to put in my package for tenure, and I got it. So that's an unusual thing. Generally, you go, you put in your package after seven years. 
some universities after six years, some after seven years. I put it in after three years and got tenure. And my group just started getting better and better, and, and, and God blessed my work so much. And I used to pray a lot about it. And this young man, his career wasn't going well at all. So the guy who was very cocky and said that he'll get tenure before I ever do, I got tenure long before he did. And uh, um, so I had decided to pray for him. And I, every day at noontime, I would break and I'd go to the chapel and I would pray for this young man's research, that God would bless his work. God would bless the work of his hands. And after about a year and a half or two years, his career got so blessed, he was getting no grant funding. He got his grant. He got a big grant. He started publishing lots of papers. His group started growing. Things got so well that he got an offer from, from another university, and he took the offer and he left. And I was very happy about that. I was glad to see him go. But you see what God does. He had totally changed my heart in praying for this young man. Once my heart was dealt with, God could get this, this thorn out of my life. But we want to be delivered sometimes from certain individuals. And God says, yeah, I can do that, but don't you realize that they're all wrapped around your heart? You pray for them, that will deal with your heart, and then you can proceed on from there. So, this is, this is what he tells you to do. He says, you are to pray for those who persecute you. The Bible also says, overcome evil with good. How do you overcome evil? With specific acts of good. If somebody is bothering you, find out what that person likes and get them that very thing. If they like Starbucks coffee, go buy them a coffee, find out what they like and buy that for them and bring it to them. Just smile. Just say, I, I thought I'd get this for you. Now, they may think it's poisoned or something, but, but just, just give them something. Find out what they like. If they like chocolate, I mean, most women like chocolate. There's actually a receptor in the brain that is, that is more active in women, particularly for, for chocolate. And this, is, this has been shown. So, so if, if, if some woman is upset with you, chances are she likes chocolate. Go, go to, uh, what is it, Recharge You or something, and buy, buy them the best chocolate you can get, and just... Buy them some chocolate. Do something. The Bible says, overcome evil with good. Specific acts of good. And you will find that when you do, that person who is persecuting you, when you do them an act of good, you know what happens? It makes you love them more. It makes you love that person more. You think, well, why should I do this? They're the ones persecuting me. Let them come and give me chocolate. That is absolutely the natural response. And analytically, that makes perfectly good sense. But God turns the whole thing around and says, My people who are called in My name are to be perfect, as their Heavenly Father is perfect. And they, you are the ones to initiate that which is good, that which is right. So what God does is He calls us as His believers, to swallow our pride and to extend the hand of friendship. Maybe they don't even take the chocolate. Maybe they just push it away. Try it again the next week. Bring them chocolate again. Try it again. You overcome evil by an act of good. You see, it is a very specific thing. We are obliged to love them. We are obliged obliged to pray for them. This is what he calls us to do. Then he says in verse 45, So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. 
You want to know how you become a child of God? By doing this very sort of thing. So in other words, you can not act like a son of your Father who is in heaven. But you can be a son, you can be a daughter, you can be a child of your Father who is in heaven by doing this. Oh, that's not too hard then. I mean, you mean that I can, I can be called a child of God if I do this act? You know, I'll do it every day. This is how you become a child of your Father who is in heaven. By doing this. By praying for those who persecute you. By showing kindness to those who are, who are your enemies. You show them kindness. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Pray for those who persecute you. He says, Just for He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. And He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. This is what God does. God sends the sun. He causes the sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. Why doesn't the sun just shine? Just shine on God's children. Because God is gracious. Because He sends the sun to shine, even on those who curse His name. There are many people that curse His name, that, that, that say evil, mean things about God. And you will find generally the people who say evil, mean things about God are not very happy people. Not at all. But God still sends the sun to shine upon them. It rains on their lawn just like it rains on your lawn. God does this and He says, just as I am, I call you to be. Verse 46, for, I love the, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? So what does this say? If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? So the implication here is, if we love those who don't love us, there's reward. There is reward from heaven when we love those who don't love us. If you love those who love you, there's no particular reward. You got your reward. The love's returned. Boom. No blessing from heaven. There's your blessing right here, here on earth. But you want a blessing from heaven? You specifically have to love those who don't love you. That's what he says. Do not even tax collectors do the same? So he's trying to find the lowest of the lowest that he can call out here. So it wasn't politically incorrect in those days to call out tax collectors. So, in, in these days, the only thing that we can do is we can call out zombies. You know? <laughs> you know, don't zombies do the same? They, they greet each other? You know, so, so he, he's calling the lowest of the low. He says, even they do it. He says, you don't get any reward for loving those who love you. But there's a reward from heaven for extending love to the one who doesn't love you. You want God to bless you? Extend your hand to the one who won't extend their hand to you. Bless those who, who don't, are, are not necessarily blessing you, and you will get rewards in heaven. Verse 47, If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than any others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Now, remember, this was, Jesus said this a long time ago. All right. So in their context, in the context of the Jewish people to whom he was speaking, he could call out the Gentiles. And, and, uh, uh, but again, don't, don't, um, don't zombies greet other zombies? They're, you know, you see them. They, they travel in groups. They, 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 they get together. 
you are to, to reach out to greet those who don't necessarily greet you. You, you know what you can do is, is so you're a freshman. This is, this is how it works. You're a freshman and, and uh, you first get to campus and you, you meet everybody and you're nice and you're trying to meet everybody. And then all of a sudden you're a sophomore and the freshmen are coming and you don't have to say hi to anybody because you already have your community. You see what I mean? The Scripture calls us to be the ones to reach out. The ones to say, hi, my name is so-and-so, my, and greet them. The Scriptures call us to do this. In the workplace, you see this all the time. People feel that, you know, this is my place of work. Really territorial people are. I mean, we're like, like, uh, like wild cats. You know, they say that, that uh, the, the lion tamer will never walk into a cage with lions and tigers. They'll never do that. The, the lion or tiger tamer will always be in the cage. And then the lions or tigers are then brought in. Because whoever is there first, cats recognize that that's their space. If the, if, if the lion tamer ever walked into a cage with lions, he'd be devoured. He'll always be there first. They understand territory. And so people are the same way. You know, I've been working here for six months, so you have to be nice to me. Because I have a seniority. The scriptures say, you reach out to the one who is new. You greet those. You reach out to them. Do you see that God calls us to be different? He's getting at our hearts. This is what our Lord has called us to, to be different. And then he, he finishes, his, finishes this portion and he says, Therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He calls us to nothing less than perfection. I mean, how can this be done? Only by the grace of God. Do you blow it? Do I blow it? All the time. Blowing it is the story of my life. I put my foot in my mouth all the time. Over and over and over again. So I apologize a lot. Apologize to people and I apologize to God. Because I do a lot of things wrong. But He calls us to perfection. He has raised a standard that is much higher than the oral law. He's also raising a standard of righteousness that is not necessarily immediately apparent from the written law. But he says, this is where the written law should get you. It is to this standard. Alright, chapter 6 of Matthew. Chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Okay, so this whole section here is of people who are practicing righteousness before men. You can go to Israel today, and, and you know there's this wailing wall, and, and you, know, you can stand there in front of everybody and pray, and you can you know, stand there and pray. Now, I'm sure many people's hearts are sincere, but Jesus actually says, don't pray like this. Don't, don't blow a trumpet, and we'll see this about your prayers. You, if you want to pray, you can, you can go into your closet and you can pray. He says, if we just do things as a show to people, we've lost our reward in heaven. And you know, this is really convicting to me because I, I, you know, I really love to have this disciplined life. But sometimes, I have to really check myself. Am I doing this just to be seen by people? Or am I doing this because I really love God? He wants to get at our hearts. And remember, there is a reward in heaven for sincerely following in the things He's about to tell us. 
So verse 2. So, when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, that they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Okay? Interesting passage. Again, he calls people out. I mean, Jesus wasn't worried about, oh, saying something that might offend a certain people group. I mean, Jesus didn't worry about it. If there was a problem with a certain people group, he called it out. Look what he does. He says, there's a group of people the hypocrites do in the synagogues. And they didn't say hypocrites in general. He said hypocrites in the synagogue, in the place of worship, and in the streets. What do they do? He says, he says so when you give to the poor, look at the assumption there is. He doesn't say if you give to the poor. He says when you give to the poor. The assumption is that we are giving people. That is the assumption that we are giving people. You don't have to give. But the assumption is, when you give, when you give, do it this way. He says, don't do it like the hypocrites do. What do they do? He says, they were sounding a trumpet before you. He's, so, the, you know, they blow a trumpet. I'm about to give, everybody. You take a penny out and you go, here you go. <laughs> this is what they would do. They would actually blow a trumpet before they would give. And they would blow a trumpet before they would give in the synagogue. He says, don't do it like this. He says, you should be so free with this, your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. Now, how can the left hand know what my right hand is doing unless I do it so much that I lose track? That you do it so often that you lose track. That you are giving so often that you just lose track of it. And then he says, he says uh, but when you give, in verse 3, do not let your left hand know that what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So, now in this church, if you give, there's an envelope there. You can just drop the cash in, or what, the nice thing about the envelope is that you can deduct that from your income tax. Now, when you give $5, it doesn't make a big difference. But if you're giving some substantial amount, what happens is it gives you more to give. And it's not that it announces there. You're not writing a you know, big magic marker, your name across the thing. You don't have to even write. You just give online. Then there's only one person who knows what you give, and that's the accountant in the church. And most of you don't know the accountant, and she doesn't know you. So she doesn't really know you. All, it's, you, all you are is just a, a bunch of symbols, which are letters that are written across you know, the check that comes in. So it's given electronically, or it comes in an envelope. And what that allows you to do, it allows you to deduct, deduct that amount from your income tax, and then you can get that amount. If you want to, you can give that too. But there is some accountability. It's interesting, when the widow, remember the widow took the widow's mite and gave it? It says, Jesus was watching. And he said to his disciples, you know, what she gave, that penny that she gave is worth more than all these, what these other rich people gave because she gave out of her sustenance and they from their surplus. So they gave from what was left over. She gave out, out of the sustenance. Well, how did Jesus and his disciples know what people were dropping in the box if they had not been looking? You see what I mean? 
So they were looking and they were watching what was dropped in the box. So it wasn't that the widow was blowing a trumpet and saying, here's my mite. She didn't do that. And she just dropped it in, but Jesus saw. Jesus saw. So it's not like you have to be like... You know, that's silliness. You give whatever God calls you to give, but you don't blow a trumpet about it. But the expectation is that you're giving. That's the expectation. And he goes on. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So, again, he says, he says, when you pray, so the assumption is you pray. That's the assumption. The assumption is you give to the poor. The assumption is you pray. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. He says they love to stand and pray on the street corners. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners. Now, he's not speaking against public prayer because he himself prayed publicly on many occasions with his disciples. But he was not standing on a street corner to be seen by men. He was praying in group prayer There was group prayer that was going on. So it means that we're not to reserve our prayers only for praying alone. But when we pray, it is not to be seen by men. He says, you can go into your closet and you can pray. The last time that we were in Israel, last summer, um, uh, Ben and I were walking around Jerusalem and and this this guy was showing us around and and he said, um, we just met him and we got to the Wailing Wall, which I've seen before. And and he says, you want to go up there and, and pray? You know, because lots of people love to go to Israel and pray by the Wailing Wall. I said, no. I said, I've been there before. I said, I, I have fellowship with God in my own room. I, I'm as close to God in my own room. Being next to that wall does nothing for me. Now, I know many people have a great experience next to that wall. But you know, in, in classical Israel, they never prayed next to that wall. That wall is just the closest that they can get to the Temple Mount. Because Jews aren't allowed on the Temple Mount because that's an Arab-controlled area. So they all congregated that wall. But they never congregated at that wall at the time of Jesus. You know, they were, they were in the Temple. Uh, but that's as close as they can get. And, and in fact, there is now even a closer point where if you go down under, there's this tunnel. And you can go into this and you can get to the absolute closest point that you can get to the Temple Mount. But in any case, Jesus is saying, it's not there. You can pray to God in your own room. In your own room you can do this. This is what he says. And the expectation is there that you do it. He says, close your door. Your father who sees in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There is reward in giving. There is reward in praying. You pray, you will be rewarded. You pray, you will be rewarded. This is what he teaches us. If you pray, you will be rewarded. Not only are people blessed by the prayers that you pray, but God blesses you. God blesses you when you pray to Him. When you pray, God blesses you. These are just treasures. Look at the way it stacks up. It says in John chapter 12, Whoever serves me, the Father will honor him. Jesus said, Whoever serves me, the Father will honor him. God in heaven reaches down and honors people. I'm telling you, I am a living manifestation of blessings from God. There is so much, so much that I get 
that I do not deserve. But God blesses me. God gives to me so much. You know, I can't believe sometimes all the things that I get in my career. God has blessed me so much. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve it. I am a living testimony of the blessing of God. When you serve God, when you honor God, when you give, you will receive many, many times over in your life. That's what the scriptures say. Press down, shaking together, running over. You will receive these things. If you will serve God, if you will be giving, if you will pray, you will receive these blessings in heaven. If you greet those who wouldn't normally greet you, if you love your enemies, if you bless them, if you pray for those who persecute you, you will receive so much good in your life. You'll be a happier person. You know, they're doing all these studies now. What brings creativity? What brings creativity to a person? And, and one of the things they say is the, if the person is generally a happier person, they're more creative. The person is, is that, that, um, that if they're not carrying lots of burdens all the time, they're more creative. All of this makes sense with what you have. God brings this joy. You don't have to carry this bitterness. Oh, I hate that stinking person. I hate that. No, you release that thing and you start praying for them. Your whole attitude changes and all of a sudden you start solving all these problems and you have all this creative flair. You want to be blessed in your life? You follow these principles. It makes total sense to follow these principles. You will be greatly blessed. These are specific things that He calls us to. Walk in them and you will be blessed. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word, for what You call us to. You call us to perfection. You call us to a place where we can receive Blessings from the Father. Rewards from the Father. You call us to a place of giving, to a place of prayer, to a place of, of praying for our enemies, loving our enemies. Lord Jesus, thank You that You called us to so much more. You called us to greet those who we, don't normally, we wouldn't normally greet. To extend that hand, to extend that kindness. Father, I pray for these young people, that You would please, Father, do that in their lives. That You would extend to them, extend to them, I pray, this kindness, this willingness to pray, this willingness to give. Father, that You would do this in their lives, that they would be greatly blessed. The grace of God be in their lives, I pray. The grace of God. Father, do a great work through these young people. And that they would learn to receive rewards that are in heaven. Father, I pray specifically for those that are, have thought about when I was speaking, who have thought about how they need to bless those who are their enemies. The specific acts that they need to do to reach out to people who don't like them. Father, I pray that you would so confirm it on their hearts, that you would do that through their lives. That they would see the release that comes by overcoming evil with good acts. Father, thank you for your mercies. In the name of Jesus, amen.